Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to See Also, your weekly dispatch of pop culture thoughts and further reading wormholes. I'm Brady Lancaster. And I'm Kate Jinks. And this week we're looking back at the series Girls on this, the 10-year anniversary of its premiere on HBO, and discussing its predecessors, impact and blind spots. We'll also chat about some recent reads and have a spoiler-filled conversation about Severance. But don't worry, there'll be ways to avoid it if you're still stuck in traffic on your way to the gala. Jinxie, did you have a weekend again? Yeah, I had a weekend. I'm so happy to hear it. I know we're doing this weekend thing, right? <laughs> Who, <laughs> Who are we? <laughs> Who knew weekends are good for you? Um, yeah, I've been doing a lot of gardening this weekend, getting my balcony gardens up to scratch. Great. We've got a few visitors coming in from out of town at the Melbourne Garden Show. We were taught to create a frill thrill and spill stop in the one pot and um <laughs> zoe and i cannot remember that and we call it fuck marry kill <laughs> uh, so anyway that's what i'm trying to do with our plants at the moment which of these succulents you want to fuck <laughs> i know pretty much <laughs> so yeah so i was gardening a lot um watching a ton of films none of which i am allowed to speak about <laughs> at this point in time i started reading a book called french braid which i'm very mm. much enjoying started watching pachinko mm-hmm. also very much enjoying beautiful What about you? What have you been up to? I watched almost all of the comeback on the weekend. That is an undertaking, a very good undertaking, but there's a lot of the comeback. Yeah, there is. I mean, I'd watched it in dribs and drabs to begin with. I feel like every time I've spoken to you and Zoe over the last few years, I kind of 
it comes up and I'm apologetic over not having seen it. It's It's been that kind of like albatross around my neck of a show that I just can't get over like a mental block to start because I think because there was so much pressure that everyone said I would love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, I did. I was sobbing by the final episode. Mm-hmm. Um adored it, adored Andy Cohen, the Andy Cohen of it all, the Lisa Vandermum of it all. Um, so I did that. I also went to, I went to a still life drawing class on Sunday morning. Oh my God, you are having a weekend. I'm just doing activities. And it wasn't even a bachelorette party? It Well, no. P.S. I keep seeing on TikTok, people are still doing, post-COVID, people are still doing those like silent disco bachelorette parties. What? Where they put on headphones and someone, like a kind of aerobics instructor, guy like leads a bunch of like drunk women in broad daylight down the public streets no dancing i have no time for this i have no if my time friend for it. made me do that because she was getting fucking married no friendship your friend. over not your friend. it's so embarrassing Oh, yeah, no. Why are these traditions rooted in humiliation? Anyway, I went to a still life drawing class that was the opposite of that. My friend Alice Eyre, who is um, a designer and illustrator, hosts it at the Jackie Winter um, gallery space in Collingwood. I love her work. She's great. And she does these themed ones. So there's some coming up. There's one about cactuses. There's one that's like Italian themed. And there's one that is like candle themed. Um, Specific. Yeah. And so they're iPad themed drawing classes. So it's all about learning to draw using an iPad. So I was like David Hockney who Uh um, did a self-portrait after I was done drawing like the Easter eggs and like little chickens on the table. Yeah, it was really fun. Two hours of just like sitting and drawing on a Sunday morning. It was really lovely. Phone off. Phone off. Although I was taking photos of my iPad and the inspiration. That's all right. And then I took a bunch of the chocolates home. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the way was kind of like yelling at a stranger that I met there about how when you don't live with your parents anymore, no one does Easter for you. It's true. It's really true. And if you don't take a few chalky eggs from a still life drawing class, you wake up on Easter Sunday morning and you think you're not going to care. I lined up at Hague's today, so I know the pain. I'm really happy you did that. Oh, one other thing that I did this week, BL, I started therapy. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's really great. Did you know that therapy can be good for you? (laughs) Started for the first time ever? No, I have done it a couple of times in the past, yeah. but it's been, I haven't done anything since 2018. Yeah, wow. It took about that long on the wait list to get in. I bet. Oh, it's been hard. I've been thinking about the wait list because also yesterday after my drawing class, I had lunch with a friend and she was telling me about her great therapy experiences recently. And I was like, my therapist, this is the first therapist I've ever seen, who I've been seeing since 2020. I was like, my therapist doesn't remember the things I tell her. And my friend was like, that's not good. No, that's bad. And I was like, I thought it was maybe like a tactic where it's, it's like getting me to like repeat my stories to like reinterrogate them or something. She was like, no, like your therapist should remember the names of the people you talk to to her about or like the situations with like your family and friends that you talk about. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe I'm going to join a wait list (laughs) soon because I, it's, it's feeling like it's, it's time to try, you know, a beta version of therapy. Uh, One of my very dearest friends, uh, retrained um, as as a psychologist mm. over the course of the last couple of years and I emailed him the day that I was going to see this new therapist saying, 
I'm going to see this person. Can you give me any tips on being a good person in therapy? And then I realized like, that's a psychotic thing. Like I'm going to be the best at therapy. I mean, I'm similar in that I was really worried for the first few months of doing therapy that I was doing therapy right. It's weird, isn't it? I'm going back next week, so I'll fill you in. I can't wait. So today, the day that this podcast comes out, marks 10 years since the first episode of Girls, Lena Dunham's comedy on HBO premiered. And also, I saw on Wikipedia, five years since it ended. Oh, wow. Very compact period of time that we're still talking and thinking about. It feels like it ended a lot longer ago than that. It feels really recent to me, the ending. But I did a girls rewatch at the start of this year and I just found I devoured it and had a completely different perspective on it. I think watching it all in one hit, because when it first premiered, I was 22. I was like at South by Southwest covering my first South by Southwest film festival and the first either two or three episodes premiered. And I was so excited for it. I went to like the activation where they had pastries and bicycles Mm -hmm. and that was like the the period that we were in in 2012 where Mm. like a show about 20 something young women was pastel colored vintage bicycles at in Austin, Texas, you know, (laughs) like we've come a long way, baby. But for all those years, I, you know, we were watching it on HBO slash if you're in Australia, likely sharing around a torrented file every Mm -hmm. week. And then the girls in my first office that I ever worked in and I would literally gather around the water cooler on a Tuesday morning to talk about the most recent episode of Girls. But I think I had a different view on it then than I did now 10 years later watching it all in one go. The relationships in it made a lot more sense to me with a bit of distance and I think the stories worked a lot stronger watching it all in one go. Yeah, I actually tried to rewatch it last year because I thought it had been a while and maybe I'd been a bit rude about it the first time around. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get through more than three or four episodes <laughs> again this time. Yeah. But in the lead up to this recording this with you and knowing that you really like the show and I think that I've always like supported the show I support Lena Dunham you know and her many facets right (laughs) there are so many facets (laughs) I don't support all of the facets actually let me scale that one back but I rewatched a few very recently some key episodes if you will and they are so brilliantly written Mm -hmm. so funny and quite touching however I never really got into the show the first time around yeah so re-watching a few key episodes I was really struck by how considered they were how articulate Lena Dunham is as a writer and, and Jenny Connor of course and I think that there was a particular dynamic working with Lena Dunham who was such a young woman making this series and had only really made Tiny Furniture before that film that I really loved. Mm. And so between her and Jenny Connor, that they had this very different dynamic on set to most directors of those kinds of big TV shows Mm. and were given such creative freedom that they created something really special. This like microcosm for all of these actors. Mm. I think the, I think you, that really captures something that got lost at the time in like the, the week to week and the season to season like discourse around this show was 
you know, it was the conversations around Lena Dunham, quote unquote, voice of a generation, Lena Dunham and the cast as these like children of immense privilege, the whiteness of the show, the very specific perspective that it saw New York City through all of these things that were applied to the criticisms of the show. It got it got taken very seriously which I think was both to its credit and its detriment. It was like a must-watch show for five years, but it was also every single part of it was pulled apart, held up against reality, held up against the reality of the you know, people creating it as if it were a work of nonfiction that I think the, the like comic writing and the direction and the like creativity behind the show kind of got lost in the source a little bit. Absolutely. And rewatching some episodes There are so many jokes so quickly. They come really thick and fast every episode. Mm. And that was really lost in the commentary around it the first time. I pulled up this old op-ed from 2012 by Frank Bruni for the New York Times. And he said, you watch these scenes and other examples of the zeitgeisty early 20s heroines of girls engaging in, recoiling from, mulling and mourning sex. And you think, Gloria Steinem went to the barricades for this? (sighs) And it's just enraging, isn't it? When you like, you think about it, how, like what it's up against, it's so sexist, Mm. so sexist. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful that Lena Dunham managed to just keep pushing past all that. Mm. I think there's also something really to be said for what we view now as these kind of like fumbly, aimless 20 something mostly white women, almost extensively white women (laughs) TV shows. And they're all kind of packaged together at, in, with this like sameness and the idea that it's this trope that is recycled over and over and over again. And to some extent that's true. And there are many examples of like shows and movies that have come before girls, but in a lot of ways it really set a precedent. And so the the way that it gets kind of muddled up with like Zoe Deschanel was adorkable on new girl. And then, you know, <laughs> the broad city girls were also traipsing about New York and kind of like unaware of their surroundings or like political class or whatever else. All of these tropes were kind of applied to girls without the understanding that it like set a lot of these trends yeah I mean Broad City for me is I mean it's obviously a very different show because it's a comedy in its whereas Girls is a comedy but it's there's a lot of drama involved right? yeah a dramedy if you will <laughs> gross but Broad City the friendship is so key mm. same with Pen15 mm. the friendship is it's all about the friendship and like guys come and go it's all about the girls mm. whereas Girls is not about that at all. And that was always my sticking point of when are they actually going to be Mm. better friends to each other? When are they going to look Mm. after each other even once? Yeah, no, well, yeah, you're right. The thing that I realised in my rewatch this year, knowing how the series ended uh, and not having thought about the show for many years, as I watched them in like season one really start splintering apart, this group of quote unquote best friends who weren't really knowing that they were never going to come back together over the course of like the six or seven seasons, whatever it ended up being, really changed my view of the show as um, it was framed as like, what do best friends do out in the real world? But instead it was like, what do young women do out in the real world? They often don't stick with like the people that they had as like a safety net or a support system or like a social group. They completely 
tore them apart. And I think one of the best depictions of how that manifested was like in the second last episode, which I have thought for many years should have been the finale of Girls. Oh, if only, if only. Shoshana's um, engagement party where Hannah just shows up heavily pregnant to tell them she's, I think she's coming to tell them she's leaving New York or something. And she walks into Shoshana's apartment and finds that there is an engagement party going on that she did not know was happening. She was not invited. She did not know Shosh was engaged. And she's really heard about this and as always makes it about herself. And Shoshana, who became the voice of reason in the show, said, we're not fucking friends. We haven't been friends in a really long time. This was just like a relationship of convenience for a time very long ago and we as viewers were kind of like oh fuck yeah they Mm -hmm. we're not watching the show's not called girlfriends (laughs) no it's true yeah i love shosh probably my favorite character on it but every time i think about her i just think about zosia mamet starting that kickstarter to make a music video (laughs) do you remember yeah yeah yeah. she had a folk band with her sister she's wearing a bowler hat in my image of it but maybe not in reality (laughs) yeah they set up a kickstarter to make a music video for their folk band daughters of david mamet Mamet. literal david mamet (laughs) very amanda palmer activity oh my god but yeah i mean like so we talk about all of the criticisms of them being children of rich people People and people within a rarefied sort of creative world, for mm-hmm. sure. And that is, I think that, I mean, fair, fair enough. Yes, that's a fair criticism. That Like the nepotism of it all is a very fair criticism. Yeah, and it, I think it was, uh, you know, it was really angled at Lena Dunham in such a massive way, even though I would say most people have never heard of her parents before. We, I would never have heard of her parents if not for her. Yeah, work. like they're famous yeah. artists, but in a very specific scene. Like yeah. they're not, I don't know. It, her parents aren't Cindy Sherman and David Byrne, you know, from when they were hooking up. What, what's your favourite episodes, BL? I have many. I think the... Um, I think the bottle episodes are among my favorite in season one. Also, I feel that girls is where everyone learnt the term bottle episode. <laughs> I don't think I had ever heard anyone say bottle episode until, I don't know, like your American bitch or your panic in. Yes. Central Park. Panic yeah. in Central Park. Yeah. When, um, yeah, I guess when prestige TV became the thing that we all had to care about, we had to learn terms like showrunner and cold open. Yeah. Bottle it's episode. so true. Yeah. I think about this often, how long I lived my life not knowing what a season of a show entailed. I would just watch it when it was on. Yeah, totally. And now we're all like, we know all the moving parts of it. Yeah. We know how that sausage is made. Even just watching the comeback on the weekend, I was like, oh, seen all of this before behind the fourth wall. Um, (laughs) So some of the bottle episodes I really loved in the first season, there's one where Hannah goes home to Michigan. You see her family. Uh, life there a bit more clearly and she goes to like a a fundraiser or like an awareness raising event for a girl she went to high school with called Carrie and the girls on stage get up and do a song and dance to like a Carrie Hilson song. Hannah's there on a date with a local boy who thinks it's really cool and she's like this girl should never move to New York to try to make it big. That city will eat her alive and it was just a really fun depiction of city girl going home and knowing better. Panic in Central Park is a classic one. As I was thinking of the shows that I really loved a lot of them were centered on Marnie Mm -hmm. and it really made me wonder if I loved Marnie after all. I did have a moment during my rewatch at the start of this year where I sent a kind of deranged voice note to a friend of mine uh, who was also rewatching Girls at the same time 
And I think I'd like canceled on a plan that I didn't want to do. And it was really vague. And I knew people were going to be like let down at the last minute or something. It was like a professional thing. And I was like, people have fucked me around enough times in my life. I'm going to be the one who fucks people around now. And so I left this deranged voicemail where I was like, this year I'm going to be more of a cunt (laughs) inspired by Marnie. And he had to talk me around and be like, Marnie doesn't know that's what she's doing. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, so there's a difference. <laughs> you want to be a cunt in a, like, Joan Rivers way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to be. Panic in Central Park is, of course, a play on Panic in Needle Park, yes. the film that was co-written by Joan Didion and her husband, Gregory Dunn. I went to a screening of it in New York and Joan Didion was there and she spoke afterwards oh, and wow. did an audience Q&A. Oh that was God. one of the most tense things I've ever sat at. It was gorgeous. Gorgeous. And one guy were people doing more of a comment than a question. Oh, it was all it was all more of a comment more than a question. I mean, was, it was a Q and A in America. What uh-huh. do we expect? And there was one guy who stood up and he was like, "What gave you the right to make a movie about like addicts? You're not an addict." And she was like, "It's not a movie about drugs. It's a movie about love." And that was it. And then it was just like mic drop, Joan Didion was exactly what you wanted from that experience. And she didn't speak again for the rest of the night. Wow. Gorgeous. Miss her every day. R.I.P. Joan Didion. She said everything she needed to say. What a woman. But I know you don't love the show. I mean, to be clear, I feel like saying I love girls makes me problematic or something. No, but- I don't, no I'm, I'm not saying that it's a bad show. Yeah. I think it's a really well-structured good show I just also don't think it's a show for me and I just didn't connect with it there do you have any favorite episodes or like standout moments that make you appreciate the writing or the structure I rewatched a beach house the one where Marnie tries to really micromanage a getaway for the girls yeah so Marnie is given a house but her mother's her mother is so good, Rita Wilson. Oh. All of the act It's so good. The casting is one of the best things about this show. Truly incredible. Like if you didn't get a role on Girls, you weren't an actor in New York City <laughs> at that time period, right? Fully. I mean, this was like, this is also the reason why Andrew Reynolds is a thing post Book of Mormon. He is in this episode where Marnie uh, stays at her mum's friend's house not in the Hamptons. It's very close to the Hamptons. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to micromanage this trip, as you said, with the four girls. And then Andrew Reynolds and his friends crash it. Don't they like run into them because one of the gays he's with spies Hannah on the street and is like making fun of her. And then she turns around and they realize it's Hannah and Elijah. Yeah. So this is Hannah is wearing a very tiny green bikini and she's like biking into town shoeless and they're all like, don't you want to wear some clothes? And she says, no, it's a beach town. Everyone's like this. And, of course, they don't <laughs> let her into the grocery store because she doesn't have shoes on. Anyway, but there's this great scene in it. Marnie is trying to have a good time in the water. It looks freezing. And Jessa says, I can't go in open water unless I'm menstruating, which is like a perfect <laughs> Jessa line. And then Marnie says, thought it was a nice opportunity for us to have fun together and prove to everyone via Instagram that we can still have fun as a group. <laughs> And I thought that line just sums up girls so perfectly. Absolutely. Yes, I really enjoyed that episode. It's a really beautiful episode. They kind of go through a lot together and it ends in a quite sad place. Yeah. It's the first one where you see the cracks really showing in Shoshana as well. Yeah. What about you? So I think some of the standout ones were... Um, obviously one man's trash was like the discourse episode, especially like the, 
discourse around Lena Dunham's body episode, which when I watched it back, it was shocking at the time, but it was a lot more shocking now, I think. Because you're like, people were shocked about this? Because she's a small woman. She's a very small woman with a tiny, tiny belly. Like the fact that she's wearing a romper with little shorter rolls and like clunky clogs and her shorts aren't riding up between her thighs proves she's a tiny person. But we were so unused to seeing anything but like, I don't know, a Zasha Mamet sized woman on screen that Lena Dunham's body in that specific episode where she spends it in the brownstone of like a wealthy, attractive man who wants to fuck her that spawned a take cycle that I still remember to this day I blogged about it at the time on my personal blog spot oh, like if that Bill. if that dates it <laughs> to you mm-hmm. timestamp yeah um so that was a shocking on rewatch another big one was American bitch so Hannah is now a contributor to a website a writer I think she's writing for like a Jezebel-esque website she goes to the very beautiful home of like a Philip Roth-esque author played by Matthew Reese. he's been under fire for exposing himself and women have come out and spoken out against him and it's it's just this really brilliantly written two-hander I think it came in the final season of the show it's clearly something that Lena Dunham wanted to get out for some time having been in the industry for a while seeing how it operates seeing what men get away with and she just wrote this really brilliant back and forth between this like kind of young idealistic feminist character who was really speaking as Lena Dunham more than she had throughout the entire series. Hannah has never sounded better than she did in that episode. And Matthew Reese is this man who was very accustomed to using his like power and position to manipulate situations, get people to pity him, and then ultimately do the exact same thing to her as as she was there to speak about him having done two other women. Yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah. That was a really good episode. I also just really have a soft spot for the relationship between her and Adam Driver's character. Um, he obviously went on to like much bigger things after Girls. Um, Never heard of him. What's he done? <laughs> Tell me. He does the comic books and the yelling and um, the yelling. <laughs> he... You know, the Adam Hanna storyline, that was the main one that on my first watch when the show first came out, week to week, I wasn't quite sold on on why these two people were so drawn to each other. Um, and it kept going over years and years where they became a f- fuck buddies to official boyfriend and girlfriend to you ruined my life and I can never see you again, trying to get each other back, et cetera, et cetera. And I think watching it all in one hit, I really came to appreciate how much they were both these very broken people who at once kind of like fixed, but also continued to like damage each other. Um, but in the final season, there is an episode we haven't seen them interact in, I think a couple of seasons by this point, he's in a relationship with Jessa at the time. Hannah's pregnant to Riz Ahmed, who played a surfing instructor (laughs) in one of the weirder parts of the final Mm -hmm. season. And he finds out she's pregnant and they kind of spend a day together where he's essentially like, I will raise this baby with you. I'll be with you. And over the course of the day, she's the one who realizes that's not something she wants. And they kind of have a really gentle, like easing apart, which is really beautiful. There are so many points in that final season where you're like, end it here, just end it here now. Because that final episode was a doozy. Such a fucking doozy. Yeah. What a shame. 
a true shame, like a breastfeeding plotline. Oh my god! With Marnie present, no, thank you, no, thank you. There were, yeah, I had a lot of issues with that final season. The way that Jess's character just became, yeah, I don't know. It was like the writers had amnesia. She lost a lot of her like fire and weirdness as well. Mm, really mm. odd. Mm. Anyway, thinking about girls today and thinking about kind of the context that her work exists in now. I just kept finding myself thinking, like, what would she be making if she hadn't made Girls? If she hadn't made this show that caught, like, the cultural and the critical, like, attention for so many years and put her in this position where no matter what she says, good and fucked up, like, it becomes a headline. If she was still, like, a little indie filmmaker in the, like, mumblecore scene, you know, the name Andrew Bajowski popped up on my Twitter Mm -hmm. feed today and I was like fuck yeah that is what I was thinking of going into this you know when Greta Gerwig was acting in Duplass Brothers films and that's kind of where Lena Dunham emerged from and the next thing she did was just so big that I kind of I almost want like to know the old the sliding doors version of her Mm. career and what films she would be making now if if she was still kind of I mean she probably still wouldn't be up and coming maybe she would have made a fucking Marvel movie by now but who knows who knows if you want another perspective on that family or on that upbringing, um, I recommend reading Cyrus Simonoff's memoir, uh, Lena's Brother. It's called A Year Without a Name. There's an excerpt in The New Yorker, which we'll link in the show notes. And I found it interesting that they wrote on Instagram recently that it's not the book that they'd write now or the name that they'd write it under. It was written with the last name of Dunham. Mm. And seeing that was actually this kind of nice reminder for me that memoirs are not a stagnant thing, that like mm. you don't, even if you were writing something about your life it doesn't mean that that's the end of that conversation Mm -hmm. and I think that that can be applied to Cyrus's sister Lena that she shares so much of her life but she seems like she's constantly interrogating it yeah that is for better or worse for better or worse that is a real blessing to hear as someone who wrote a memoir at age 26 tbh (laughs) really nice to know that they are not fixed Mm -hmm. because oh but it's not fixed one thing i reread while we were talking about all of this bl Mm. was um this nice piece that lena dunham wrote on nora efron also for the new yorker and it's also it's, it's a lot about how inspired she was by Nora Ephron's film This Is My Life which mm. I think we're going to be talking about very soon mm-hmm. but yeah it was, a, it was a nice a nice piece you really see her inspirations come out really she really wears them on the surface and it's kind of shocking that I found out when I first saw Claudia Wiles film Girlfriends that Lena Dunham had not seen it before making Girls or I think even Tiny Furniture but they mirror each other so closely to the point where Girlfriends even has a scene where the two disconnected friends reunite in an art gallery which happens at the end of Tiny Furniture when I watched that film I just had like a reaction to it that was so intense in the fury that I had not seen it before that I had spent 27 years or whatever it was not having watched that movie or knew it existed yeah I adored that film also really really beautiful film from 1978 so two friends are living together in New York best friends uh Susan who is like our star our eyes and ears Mm -hmm. of the film she's the arty one she's the arty one she's played by Melanie Mayron she's so perfect so, so beautiful perfect. so curly and so she's a photographer in this film and when her roommate Anne decides to move out to move in with her boyfriend it really sets something off inside her mm. she starts thinking about like loneliness and like what she's doing with her life 
and it actually makes her very ambitious, but there's this kind of schism between the two that is not really mended for much of the film. Mm. It's just so good. It's so brilliant. It's truly a timeless piece of um, art and stars like a very beautiful young Christopher Guest. Oh, yeah. And, and yeah. Bob, Bob Balaban. Balaban. <laughs> oh, I love him. <laughs> two hunks, honestly. Mm-hmm. Two late 70s hunks. Yeah, they're... they're and Bob Balaban plays Lena Dunham's therapist in Girls. Oh, yeah. And Melanie Mayron, she plays in Jane the Virgin... Jane's like a uh, writing professor who basically oh. tells her her work is trash. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Yeah. She's got like a line of eco beauty products or candles or something. Okay. Well, I'm buying those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just this really beautiful, if you can find girlfriends, we highly, highly recommend seeking it out. It's just this really beautiful take on female friendship and what I get from it is just that idea that you you often are thinking about what you don't have in relation to your friends and they very often or possibly are doing the exact same. Um, you know, Anne moves away to have to get married and have a baby and has no time for her art. And conversely, Susan is in the city and she's making her art, but she's hustling and struggling and working you know bitsy little jobs she's and dating these- the rabbi she's dating oh boy the rabbi <laughs> um and you know envies kind of that security and and having someone there at the end of the day yeah it's truly timeless i've got a little c also for our girlfriends yeah nicholas smith artist who's based in sydney makes beautiful paintings often based on film stills and she's done quite a lot of series based on Chantal Ackerman's works. Gorgeous, another fave. But she did a girlfriend series in 2018. And I was surprised with one for my 40th birthday a number of years back. And it is heaven to look at. So beautiful. I envy many of the things in your apartment, but I think that is the one I would steal. Okay, noted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> make sure that that is chained to the wall. I also want to recommend just in the spirit of girls and like the the – 20 to 30 year old white women flailing about trope. There's an essay by the writer Aisha A. Siddiqui called Memento Millennial. It's a really long piece on her Substack, and it goes a lot of places. It talks about influencer culture and Instagram and so many things. I'm not doing it justice, but there is a part in it that I really loved where she talks about how this decade of fiction starring late twenties to early thirties, white women, and I'm quoting here, recycles different iterations of the same boring, selfish, reckless, cynical, and unmoored depressive figure with a dissatisfying sex life that they organize the rest of their lives around. The self-sabotaging white woman is to the 20 teens what the flailing dad was to the 90s family comedies, an era-defining trope. Weirdly enough, Girls reminded me of this book that I read that many of us read and love, Charlotte Wood's The Weekend, which came out a number of years ago now and is about a group of four women with a very, very complex friendship group structure also, no one says friendship group, do they? On reality TV, they do. Yeah, outside on Australian, of, on Australian, on Byron so Bay's, they do. Yeah, it's really odd. Yeah, well, on reality TV, it's code for the producers put us together. Yeah, right. I mean, but, they say it on Rehoboher quite a bit too. I oh think. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the ladies, the ladies. Yeah, it's always the ladies. Okay, mm-hmm. so Charlotte Woods the weekend is about 
four ladies, <laughs> one of whom has just died, Sylvie, and her three friends who were a very kind of tight-knit foursome at one stage in their lives, but now they're in their 70s and the three of them have come together to Sylvie's beach house in a fictional town of like the central coast called Bitos in, in Sydney to clean it out, to get it ready to sell. And they have to come from very kind of differing positions and get along with each other essentially. And the book is about these, the three of them kind of riffing and coming up against each other and being incredibly judgmental about each other. And you get to hear from each of them, like each each perspectives. And this book kind of covers so much ground of this friendship and you're reading it and you're like, why were these women ever friends mm. now that you see them in their 70s? And I feel the way about girls. <laughs> so it's that kind of thing. Would you say it's a little first wives club? The gals coming together after years apart. Why well, were we ever friends? It's a little less quippy than, sure. <laughs> uh, than that, though I do love first wives club. But yeah, it, it's also like a book about women in their 70s in this very, it's written in this quite casual, frank way. And they Mm. all are talking about their bodies and their, you know, what went wrong in their lives and what they're setting themselves up against. And I just haven't read that really very much at all. Mm. It's a high recommendation. I bought it for everyone for Christmas last year, even though they probably already had it. And I also want to point out this great piece by Charlotte Wood on Helen Garner's Monkey Grip that was for The Guardian. And uh, it was called Helen Garner's Monkey Grip Makes Me Examine Who I Am. Wow. Yeah, really good. I actually haven't read any of her work, but the premise of The Weekend, which I now really want to read, reminds me of a book by Meg Wallitzer, who wrote This Is My Life, which we mentioned before, her 1999 novel Surrender Dorothy, which I read at the very end of last year. I found it took me a while to get into, but once I cracked like the first couple of chapters I was so in, it's about this group of friends who goes to a beach house on Long Island every summer. And the core of this group of friends is this woman, Sarah, who by all accounts is like beautiful and sexy and brilliant and smart. And her best friend is a gay playwright. And they have this couple friend who have just had a baby. And the four of them are going away to the beach house along with um, Adam, the playwright's new boyfriend. And on the first, I think it's the first night it happens in the first chapter, so I'm not spoiling anything. It's the premise of the book. Sarah dies in a car accident and the woman who owns the house will not give them their money back. So they decide to stay for the summer and Sarah's mother, who she was very close with and who always kind of resented her friends for like being, I guess, her chosen family. And as they saw it, then preventing her from like settling down with a nice man. Her mother joins them for the duration of the summer. It's really great. It's a very short read. Beautiful. I haven't read it. Really want to. Yeah. I love Meg Wallitzer though. Adore. Adore. And she's so great with like very lived in groups of friends. The Interestings is probably my favorite of hers. I oh, love The Interestings. I'm going to reread. No, I'm not. I've got too many other books to read. I really recommend by Meg Wallitzer um, a YA novel that she wrote a few years ago called Two Night Owl from Dogfish, which all takes the form of emails back and forth between these two girls whose dads have fallen in love at a conference and send them to the same summer camp to become a family, essentially. It's very parent-trappy, but they do not like each other. Oh, yeah. intrigued. Her yeah. YA novels are quite good. I remember there was one about Belgia. Oh, yeah. Which is like the Belgia. Ah. The Belgia for teens. We love Meg. Love her. She's in a Roach's 
tribute band or like she sings with the roaches. Sorry, what? Meg Wallitzer sings with the roaches. I had no idea. Yeah. Are we going to do a whole roaches app at some point? We have to. We have to. We have to address this. (laughs) We're going to do things a little bit differently this week. We're going to do our also also's as norm. But after that, we're doing a full severance spoiler, like mini breakdown. Yeah. So us breaking down because we love the show so much. We'll be having a break D. You haven't finished watching severance season one. Just tune out after also also's. Yeah. You're free for also also's. You can get the also also's. And then it's severance viewers only spoiler special yeah okay <sighs> i'm glad that we have flagged that i'm constantly worried that we're going to spoil something we're so, so stressed i'm going to put the i'll put the time code in the show notes as well so oh, good good you good. know if you're worried about it or if you want to skip straight to the spoilers don't but don't. you could jinxie what's your first one okay mine is a little non-alcoholic beer that i have been enjoying every single time we record <laughs> uh it's the park pilsner p-a-r-c pilsner by Monceau. Monceau are known for their very fancy like kombucha pet nats. Ah. You see it in like a nice a nice bistro, you sure. know. Gotta say, I've only been recommending non-alcoholic drinks. I do actually drink. The reason why I'm recommending the non-alcoholic drinks is because I really like drinking. And so I love <laughs> to find something else to kind of put into my routine, shall we say. So I've really been going through it over the last like year and a half, I would say, mm. of like road testing a lot of non-alcoholic drinks. So these are like the best of the best. They fully are. I tried Tina on your recommendation. We're influencing ourselves as per <laughs> um, and adored it. It was so yummy. I took it to um, a drinks with the residents of my apartment building. They were all so curious. Yeah, I love it when it's not just a kind of – shit order you know when you're like yeah. oh i'll have the like zero beer blah 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 yes when they feel a little bit fancy you know yeah the branding is good it helps mm. and so the park pilsner is such a good uh non-alcoholic beer because it is quite bitter and not a lot of non-alcoholic beers get that mm. my first one i guess is also like a non-alcoholic drink but it's Lacroix, the lemoncello flavor which i let you taste last week it was yummy. It tasted it? like a key lime pie. Yes, it's creamy. It is somehow creamy. I don't know how. I don't know how. I ordered 10 cases of LaCroix. I'm trying a bunch of different flavors. And uh, the lemoncello is really just singing to me. Mm. I order it because we're in Australia from like a USA Foods website, which I'm sure anyone from America would find very funny. The foods that get exported overseas. I've got a read also, yeah, but they're short reads. I know I've been recommending a lot of books lately, but if you're short on time, I was looking for some pieces by Tove Janssen, one of my favorite writers, a Finnish writer. She's very famous for creating the Moomins, but she wrote oh, for adults yeah. as well. Okay. A lesbian. Love her. As all the best women are. They truly are. You don't need to tell me. But yeah, there are these two essays that are up on the Paris Review website. I'm sure they were in the journals, but I don't have them. That had never been translated into English before until very recently by Herman Diaz. And there's one that she's written about the island that she lived on. Beautiful. My God, most of her books are based around this island Mm. and I'm desperate to go to that island. And the other one is called Once at a Park. And it's kind of about writer's block. Mm. And it's this really interesting take on writer's block. There's nothing better than kind of 
reading the writers you love talk about how hard it is to make oh, their work. It's the best. Yeah. It is. And you're like, oh, thank thank you. Yeah, they get uh, it. They get it. And it's so nice when you find, stumble upon something when you feel like you've read every single thing this writer has ever published. And yeah. then you're like, oh, yes, not everything's in English. That's right. Mm. A reminder. Mm. My next one is a hair also buy also it's a beauty product it's by this brand called cuvee beauty and it's an air dry mist if you like me are trying to use less heat on your hair um, for styling but also just air drying on its own doesn't quite do it for you this product manages to give kind of like hold and body without any kind of like crispiness or um like sticky residue you just spritz it on before your hair is fully dry my hair kind of naturally dries in like curls but then i find like a quick brush and it looks like i've start i fully styled it which is really great because after two years fully just at home alone i cannot be fucked styling my hair and i've kind of forgotten how but yeah this brand cuvee beauty I think it's like takes inspiration or ingredients from like champagne. Um, some of their hair care stuff I really, really like. I got sent it for free after I wrote one article about a face mask for a website. I just got sent all this free stuff, but I finished up all the air dry mist and then repurchased it with my own money. So it's not spawn. It's genuinely really good. <laughs> my last one is a listen also. It's a particular podcast episode on the 7am podcast, which is published by Schwartz Media. This one is The Vote, Who is Scott Morrison, Mm. hosted by Ruby Jones, but she's got special guest Sean Kelly, the writer, talking about Scott Morrison. Sean has a book called The Game, which is out. It was a massive Christmas bestseller all about Scott Morrison. And I have to say, Sean is a friend of mine. I am very lucky to call him a friend. I'm only stating that because... That is the reason why I could read about Scott Morrison or listen to a podcast about Scott Morrison because such an incredibly vile man. Yeah. You know, it just sets me aflame. You want to escape from wherever he is. Exactly. But because Sean is such an incredibly gifted and articulate writer and an empathetic writer, I feel able to listen to this, I suppose, Mm, mm. and have learnt so much about this terrible man who's our Prime Minister and they've just called the election, so that's why this is all coming into gear. Yeah. But this episode, The Vote, Who is Scott Morrison, Sean really details, like, his childhood and his use of marketing Mm. and the way he sits within the Liberal Party and the people within the Liberal Party who don't agree with his politics. Mm. Did you know that Scott Morrison had an agent as a child actor? What? Yeah, he was in like a Vicks Vaporub commercial or something. <laughs> no! I know, right? Oh, my God. Oh, I, I was going to say I remember listening to a podcast with um, Sean when his book first came out where they kind of were running down like the unknown backstory of Scott Morrison. I didn't know that. But what stuck out to me was the fact that he gave himself the nickname ScoMo and also that he like chose rugby as his sport because of what it represented, not because he actually enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, it's really all very fascinating and you see this self-made man, Mm. but I'm not using that in a positive way. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, really fascinating. And if you, like me, recoil from anything to do with Scott Morris, listen to this podcast. It will make you want to read the whole book. I can't wait. My final one is a watch also. It's a relatively new release. There are a few more episodes left. The Girl from Plainville 
Every single episode we somehow start talking about like a ripped from the headlines show. Every week I change my mind about them. I hate them. I love them. I'm watching them out of obligation. I'm really enjoying The Girl from Plainville. Elle Fanning is giving the eeriest, saddest, emptiest performance of Michelle Carter, the girl who was caught in the like texting suicide uh, news story a few years ago. And I believe one of the executive producers of the series is Erin Lee Carr, the documentary filmmaker who um, made the documentary I Love You Now Die, which was all about this case, but didn't have the Um, you know, the families or Michelle Carter involved. She's a producer on the series, which I think gives it a lot of really hefty context. Also, Chloe Sevigny plays the mother of Conrad, the boy at the center of the absolute tragedy. Can't Um, go wrong with Chloe Sevigny. You cannot go wrong. Cannot go wrong. There's a scene where she listens to what her son is listening to in his iPod or his phone or whatever. And she like has him explain like what the kids are listening to. It was like um in 20th Century Women, also starring Elle Fanning, where Greta Gerwig has to like explain punk to Annette Benning's character. Um, yeah, so really enjoying The Girl from Plainville and the glee of it all, which I'd kind of forgotten from the documentary, is right there. And again, Elle Fanning is just really turning it on. There's a scene where she is watching the scene from Glee where Leah Michelle sang after the real life death of Corey Monteith, who was her real life boyfriend and her boyfriend on the show. And Elle Fanning as in character as Michelle Carter watches that scene on her laptop and then performs it word for word. Does a Leah Michelle impression in the mirror. It is so eerie and it's so effective and it's so fucked up. Sounds very TikTok. It's a little TikTok-y. It's a little lip synky, um, But grim. Really fucking dark. <laughs> uh, none of it is good, but it's great. Okay. Yeah. Okay, now is the time if you have not watched the latest episode of Severance, which is the finale episode of Severance, the We We Are. Turn, turn it off. off turn, turn off. off turn, turn off. Turn off. You might be like, I'm going to catch up after I listen to the podcast. Don't. Not do and not. Turn it off. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. We'll see you. Love you. Follow us. Rate, review, etc. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay. All right. Now that they're gone... (laughs) Oh, oh my god. Holy fuck. <laughs> oh my god. I 
Watched it in the daytime, which is like not the optimal way so of watching I. it. So did I. I watched it on my lunch break. Oh my God. It was like light was coming in. I could barely see the screen. Yeah. But I was like, I have to get through it. I have to see. I have to see. It was a short episode. It felt like I took a breath and it was over. It was like 45 minutes. But so much happened. It almost occurred. It was like an episode of 24. Like it almost occurred in real time. It really did. Yeah. If you're listening, you've, you've, you're up to date. We don't need to fill you, you follow in. follow the rules of the podcast. But my God, I was so nervous about this episode that it would not get us somewhere. That it was just going to be like every other goddamn show at the moment where it would finish and we'd be like, oh, what? You know, like they wouldn't give us any morsel of information. Yeah. But we were given so much information and it was such a good cliffhanger. It was a perfect cliffhanger. Like we don't know everything, but it's really set it up so well. I kept thinking of the Good Place finale of the the first season where they realise that they're not in the good place, they're in hell, and mm-hmm. it sets up for the rest of the series. Mm-hmm. And that was such a perfect finale episode, mm-hmm. such a, like, gotcha moment. Mm-hmm. And I felt that this was this was up there with it. I mean, it's a better show than The Good Place. Yes. But, and, but similar, like, kind of world building and rules to follow. I want to start with Mark. Because, you don't start with Dylan. <laughs> I mean, we start and end with Dylan. He has a really incredible, like, enviable kind of, like, balance and strength. Why pick the guy with the shortest arms? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine John Turturro in that room. He would have just be great. Easy breezy. But then we would have missed so much. Mm-hmm. Um I found myself quite emotional at the thought of Mark S waking up in the home of Rickon, the author of the book that has brought so much like hope and like kind of driven this rebellion from inside Lumen, right? Like they're, they're quoting his, his work to them about how your boss might own the clock on the wall, but the time is yours. Yeah. I found the <sighs> Rickon storyline so beautiful and it's so Ben Stillery too, in a yeah. way, although the creator apparently wrote pretty much the entire the book. book. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Mark waking up in that house and being with his boss, Mrs. Cobell, oh, God, what an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Hugging oh, her. Oh, hugging her. Hugging but her. The whole episode, I watched it with Zoe. You might remember from the last episode. We were just like, tell someone, tell someone. Just yes. like yelling at the television. Tell someone, anyone, tell anyone. Yes. I love the fact that they're we now know enough of their innies and outies that we kind of knew going into this episode that Mark is very restrained in both parts of his life. If anything, his Audi is kind of more outrageous and, and chaotic than his innie. Um, so of course he went about it in like this really regimented way. Cause the rule was that they agreed to was find someone you trust. And for Helly, there was no one there that she trusted for Irving. There was just no one. And for Mark, he was surrounded by people, but the first one he saw was fucking Patricia Arquette. I know. And he knew that she could not be the person to tell. He found Rickon, who he realised was his brother-in-law, but that moment when he looked at the baby and he called it our baby. (laughs) That was great. I think one of the strongest things in Severance, there are so many strong things, so this means nothing because there are so many strong things, but one of the million strong things about Severance, the most perfect TV show of our time, uh, is the relationship between Mark S. and his sister. Devon. Devon. They have the 
best chemistry, the way they speak to each other, all the tiny little private jokes, mm-hmm. even though so much kind of trauma has happened within their lives and their relationship, yeah. that they can always go back to this kind of very joshing with each other way of being. It's so perfect. It's like you never see siblings on screen like that. No. And that is what it's like. And it really comes out. Even Innie Mark has that with her by the end of their conversation where she's so trusting of him that she's taking everything he's telling her and he's she's giving him enough information to kind of arm him but not scare him and saying, you know, Audi Mark wants to know what you're doing in there. He's trying to figure it out. And it's kind of this relief that he's not the only one. She's treating them like separate people. She's not like, you're my brother. She understands enough to know that she's just met a stranger. But by the end of that conversation, he's so relaxed and at ease with her that he says like, oh, and Miss Cobell, what the hell's she doing? It's the kind of tone that you would have with your sibling at a holiday party where you're you've stolen away to talk shit about people and I'm so glad he finally saw who his wife was and then managed to yell it out that she's alive right as his face Adam Scott's performance in this episode it's so good incredible John Turturro okay when I tweeted that he's there's so much to say, but namely that he's so hot. What I wanted to say at the time, but I didn't want to spoil it for you or anyone else who follows me on Twitter. Yeah, I was immediately like, I haven't seen it yet, Brody. <laughs> Kate threatened to mute me. Um, <laughs> was that I realized as the episode ended and he was pounding on Bert's door, about to turn back into his Audi self, that he, it was essentially a dialogue-free performance from him for the entire episode, besides talking to his dog very quickly he was rifling through papers. It was kind of what I imagine like Irving's Audi's life is like, like quite silent and quite isolated, mm. but we learned a lot about him. Yeah. This kind of feverish search for any information. Mm-hmm. What is going on with Bert? What do you think is going on with Bert? I haven't read any kind of crazy theories yeah. on the internet yet. I have a very sad oh. idea of what I think might be happening, which is that Bert, this has happened before. Like Irving has a map with a few houses circled. One of them is Bert's. He has these secret lists of what he knows of the people from Severance. It's as if he's been investigating this in his Audi life, trying to solve the mystery of like, what is this scene he keeps seeing of the elevator down to the, um, what's it called? The fixing floor or something like that. Like the severance floor. Yeah. 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 Um, treatment floor. It's got a a name. It's where they keep sending miss Casey, Mm. AKA Gemma. Um, I have a, this really sad feeling that when Bert opens the door and sees it's Irving, like his partner might know who he is. Like he might've come there before looking for answers. There is this like really sweet idea that, Bert and Irving keep kept finding each other inside. And I really like the idea that, you know, there's like a, there's a mention early on in the season of an uprising in the O and D department. We know that Irving has this artistic side to him. Maybe he started off as des- in design with Bert many years ago. Maybe they led this rebellion and that's why they've been separated you know, we know that Bert was there for seven years. Maybe he's had his memory wiped and refreshed. Do you think Bert is sick? Because he, his, the mm. boyfriend, presumably the guy who's with him, is putting a blanket over his shoulders mm. when you see him through the window, but also he's about to retire within mm. the severance world. I thought they were packing for something, like packing to go away or moving house or something. 
but maybe. We didn't get a lot out of that one. No, we didn't. John Turturro painting like a demon to Motorhead is one of the best things on screen. John Turturro is so hot. He's so hot. He's amazing. He's I love so him so much. I can't believe that he and Christopher Walken are a thing in a TV <laughs> show. Makes me so happy. It's so beautiful. He's so <sighs> incredible. Um, but yeah, I'm very curious about Irving. I saw a theory on Reddit where someone thinks that like, they were, they were kind of positing like, what if Irving is kind of a spy for Lumen? Um, in his no. Audi life, which I just refuse no, to believe. No, no, absolutely not. Cobell, on the other hand, I think I've spent the last few weeks thinking that maybe Patricia Arquette is a good guy or her her allegiances are kind of hazy, that she's not entirely a villain. Hmm. The reasons I think this are, okay, the Lexington letter. Have you heard about the Lexington letter? It was something that Dan Erickson wrote and released as like the supplemental material halfway through the season. It... Um, takes the form it's kind of like at the end of Handmaid's Tale where it's like a letter from the handmaids that reaches like the outside world it is a letter written by a woman called Peggy who Peggy K who worked in Lumen and the context of it is that a journalist for a local paper is sending it to their editor whose last name is Milchik and saying essentially here's what someone inside Lumen is saying Um, about what goes on in there. I think we should publish this. And the editor kind of tamps it down and doesn't want to release this information. Um, And there's also a handbook about how to work in the ND department. But the character of Peggy came up recently when a friend recommended a severance recap podcast and they sometimes have the cast and crew on. And in the description of that podcast, it lists the cast. It's like Adam Scott as Mark Patricia Arquette as Peggy. Oh. Which is not her character's name. No. Like Mark, Audi Mark knows her as Miss Selvig. Any Mark knows her as Miss Covell. Is this Peggy? Is this this woman who figured out a code to communicate with her innie and took the information, like managed to have a dialogue with her innie and Audi and then shared it with a journalist years ago? Is she, you know, there's this idea that maybe like, the breathing tube in the hospital band is of her mother. There's like an idea of like people lumen, like force feeding people through a breathing tube in the Lexington letter. Um, we know that Gemma, everyone outside knows her as dead, but she's like existing within lumen is like, basically my current theory is that Patricia Arquette wants to reanimate her, her mother and needs lumen to do that. And so has this double-edged intention where she knows that Lumen is a really bad company and is doing harm to people, but has this kind of like self-serving goal of of seeing if the Mark and Gemma thing works, seeing if maybe she can follow suit and bring back one of her loved ones. <sighs> That's where my head's at anyway. Sorry, did I just talk for 20 minutes about no, the No, I mean, I'm... I mean, she's so good. The performance in the finale is so good. She's okay. so good. Helly R. Helly. Wow. I did not see this coming. Oh. I did not see that she was part of the founder's family mm-hmm. and that she was severing herself it's like for the, the company. The guinea pig, I guess. The public guinea pig. Wow. Yeah. I kind of, when I saw her at the end of last week's episode with the earrings on, I was like, she's at the gala. I thought that maybe she was at Mark's party, mm. but why would oh. she be wearing earrings like that to Rickon's book reading? I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah. And she'd been, the the Milchick taking photos of her through the season 
it stuck like there was this idea that she was something special like that her and you know we saw that video her Audi was like in insistent that she stay in there and like see it through kind Mm. of thing the moment where she looks in the mirror in the bathroom after hearing from her father about how she's kind of responsible for some of this and then she recites what they tell her to do in the break room about her sins and and asking for forgiveness before going out and making that speech oh my fucking god chilling chilling so incredible Love it. Love it. So worried about next season now that our friends on the inside are in trouble. Oh, I know. Because I think there's like Lumen is wiping chips and starting people from scratch. Like Miss Casey, a.k.a. Gemma, saying to Mark, like, I've only been alive for 100 hours. But we know that Mark's wife died two years earlier. Like how many times have they erased her mm. and brought her back? Mm. And... I saw a theory. Sorry, I'm, I don't mean to just recycle Reddit, but mm. I saw, you know, we saw in Irving's house that he has served in the military. Um, the Navy. The Navy. Loved that for him. Or was his dad in the Navy? Yeah. Someone online had a theory that maybe Bert and Irving were like guinea pigs for severance as a treatment for PTSD after military service. Oh, which is interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Do you need next season to pick up right where we left off? I need it to pick up tomorrow. Yeah. I need that season yesterday. Dan Erickson, do you need an assistant to print stuff out for you? <laughs> I won't tell anyone except Kate. Yeah, I would. I would like it to just keep going from that moment. What about yeah. you? Yeah, I think so. Or do they fast forward in time and then we see what has become of this like rebellion Mm. are they separated inside the walls of lumen and we watch them find their way back together like who knows who knows how are they going back to work after this what happens to heli after she's tackled well because she'll be straight back to work yeah yeah right oh because it's nighttime so she'd be unconscious basically any the innies will be unconscious as soon as they flip out yeah right yeah but Dylan will be at work. Dylan will be at work. Hmm. There's a lot. It's a lot. It was such a good finale. It was so satisfying. So satisfying. I exclaimed out loud like four times and oh. then, again, watched it on my lunch break, so then had to go back to work. <laughs> yeah, I. that's Very why I was doing silly. so much gardening. Yeah. Needed to release that tension. Um, I think it's the best show I have seen in I'm struggling to think of a show that does its world building in that way. Yeah. That says so much about like the human condition, essentially. Yeah. Modern work culture. But it, it's so much more about work culture. But it's mm. just saying so much. It's doing it's just doing doing it all. Yeah. I mean, we had a very emotional experience to Station Eleven and that idea of like what do you survive for? Whereas severance is kind of like what do you live for like do you live to work do you live to know people and like have really fucking hard experiences like childbirth and you know working a dead-end job like what is worth your time Mm. but yeah it's the world building is so specific and none of it is for it's not style over substance. It's not like a concept that doesn't quite meet its potential. Like it's so satisfying. I'm so deeply invested. Yeah. I think the only show that I got this invested in 
in the last couple of years would have been like The Leftovers. Ah, I never watched The Leftovers. It's very good, Brody. I've heard. But yeah, Severance, wow, 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 wow. Wow, wow, wow. If you are having feelings about Severance, we have heard from a few listeners who started watching on our recommendation and we love that. But whether you did that or not, we want to hear. Yeah, we want to hear from you about this. Yeah. DM us on Instagram. We read them all and we will. (laughs) We'll have a chat. Absolutely. I guess it's time to leave, BL. Thanks so much, Kate, as always. Thank you. And thanks to Harvey Sutherland for our music. And thanks to Samuel Hodge for our imagery. If you want to get in touch, you can do it on Instagram at See Also Podcast. We'll be back next week. See ya. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.